You know, we're working very hard on getting a third Supreme Court justice. I'm going to announce who that is. The only thing I'll say for the women, it will be a woman. Now, Lindsey Graham, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee, is out today saying we have the votes to get a nominee confirmed before the election, which is six weeks from today. He's done the vote counting among his Republican senator friends. He says they got the votes to get it done. To discuss all matters Supreme Court, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Adam White, the resident resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Adam focuses on American constitutionalism, the Supreme Court, the administrative state, and is also assistant professor of law and director of the C. Boyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State at the Antonin Scalia Law School, one of the great law schools in America at George Mason University. Mr. White, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. You got to take some deep breaths in, the, in that yeah. long, oh, yeah. that long business card. Thank I, you. I do it short. I declare Adam the smartest person on the Supreme Court in America. Well, that's <laughs> and that's what you are. Brief and uh, and lovely. So, hey, why don't we start with why is interest in and partisanship over the Supreme Court at such a fever pitch these days in a way that it really wasn't in in decades past. Well, it's because of what the court's done in the decades since then. And Justice Scalia put this really powerfully in one of his dissents in, the abor- in one of the abortion cases. He said that, you know, to the extent justices are worried that the confirmation process is getting out of control, um, they need to take a look at themselves and understand that the, the bigger of a footprint that the Supreme Court puts on American politics by deciding issues that are better left to the political process, the more that the political process will pull the court into itself. And that's what we have now, especially when people are, 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 are when people think that, that Roe v. Wade might someday be at stake. So did the, did the court change, did the public attitudes change, or did the Senate change in that we used to confirm these people 98 to nothing, 100 to nothing, 97 to 2, that sort of thing, and now it's, you know, a fight to the death. It's a knife fight in an alley. I'd say the court changed first, then the people, and then the Senate caught up. I'd say that the court changed first in expanding all sorts of rights that aren't written in the Constitution, like in Roe v. Wade and other cases. I'd say that the left started to put much more emphasis on the court as a political tool. Then we saw, you know, Ted Kennedy and others declare war on Robert Bork in 1987. That was the real turning point. I think Republicans took a little while to catch up. They never really declared war on – I mean, they never have declared war on – on Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, the way that Democrats have to Bork, Thomas, uh, Kavanaugh. They even went after David Souter before they realized he was going to be a liberal justice. I'd say that then finally Republican senators decided we need to take this stuff really, really seriously, too. Well, and I suppose we could mention that the Congress is in the habit of passing grand and glorious legislation that's also very, very vague, and then lets the court interpret, uh, you know, their grand, grand and glorious implementation. Yeah, there's no shortage of that, too. I spend, you know, plenty of time teaching administrative law and warning about that problem. So yesterday, Joe Biden was asked if he's president, is he in favor of packing the court? He wouldn't answer that question because he said it'd be a distraction. What is packing the court? How, what would it look like? And, you know, what's the likelihood of it? Sure. Okay. Packing the court is adding justices. We have nine justices. The court's been that size for about 150 years. That's not written in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say anything about it. Originally, the court was six members. It's been as large as 10. But since about the Civil War, we've been at nine. 
That could be changed any time by ordinary legislation. Congress could create Supreme Court seats the way that it, you know, it could print money. Uh, we don't do that for a good reason, because the stability of the court's an important thing. And once you make that move, once a Congress and a, a fit of partisan peak add seats to the court, we all know what happens. The next time the tables are turned, the other side will add seats. And pretty soon we have a court of 15, 17 members. It looks less like a court of law and more like a miniature Senate. We call it court packing because that's what it was called when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to do it or threatened to do it in the 1930s in his own fit of peak over the Supreme Court striking down a couple of New Deal statutes. Back then, uh, the, 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 the proposal was so radioactive uh, that everybody in the political process immediately rose up and said, no, this must not be done. It's been, to call it a third rail since then would be an understatement. It's worse than a third rail. And the fact that Democrats about two years ago started talking about it, I think really showed how far beyond the beyond they've gone. And I think that it would be, if they were to push that button uh, after, uh, say, taking over the White House and the Senate, it would utterly destroy the Supreme Court as a credible institution. Well, how, and I think how, that it needs to be avoided. Yes, I mean, I feel like we do that. We are speaking of rails. We're really off the rails at that point. Um, how difficult is it to do? Is it just a majority vote in the House and Senate and the president signs it, or what is it? That's it. That's it. The Supreme Court, the Congress can just pass a law like any other laws and just amend the statute. I don't have the statute in front of me that says how many seats the court has, but you just strike out nine and write in wow. 11. And, and that's it. And, and in fact, they don't, if, if they get rid of the filibuster, then it's just a bare majority of the House and the Senate at a moment in time wow. adds seats. Yeah. How concerned are you that we are entering an era where that sort of thing is is being um, not only contemplated but done and to hell with the union, to hell with the country? I'm profoundly worried about it. I I think that the greatest constitutional crisis of our time is just one of utter utter lack of self-restraint by our political actors and by uh, so much of, of the public that really rallies them to go to a, abusive extents just in support of whatever policy they favor at, at the moment. I think it's profoundly dangerous. You know, you know what bothers me about it is that Democrats have done a great job, I think, you know, and the media helps that along, but the Democrats have done a great job of making it seem like you do this crazy thing and we're going to do this crazy thing. Well, the crazy thing the Republicans are talking about doing is 100% constitutional. I mean, it's not out of bounds at all. Yeah, it's, it's not. All they're trying to do is fill the seat. Now, here's, here's the but, okay? Here's the but. The but is... As much of in favor of the Garland inaction that I was, I was totally on board with them not voting on Garland. I think the way, the extent to which they really emphasized this new rule about not voting on Supreme Court confirmations during an election year, I really wished at the time they hadn't said that. And I really <laughs> wish now they hadn't said it, because while they are totally in the right to do what they are doing, there is, there is this, this, this debate surrounding the honesty or dishonesty of Republican senators that I think looks terrible, and I really worry that it's going to undermine not just their own credibility. They're politicians. They can give away their credibility whenever they want. I'm really worried that the, that the stench of that is going to stick to the, whatever great judge gets nominated, mm. and it'll follow them to the court. And I think while politics is brutal, and it always has been, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that politics surrounding the Supreme Court needs to have an extra measure of self-restraint for the good of the court because we need it for the good of the rule of law. 
Adam White is with the American Enterprise Institute and George Mason University. Uh, what do you think of the principle of uh, choosing court uh, new justices according to the dying wishes of the previous justices? <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you know what? I'm not going to speak ill of the dead. No, certainly but, not. No, uh, but I, we're I speaking think that, ill of you know, the living <laughs> that take dying wishes is serious. I'll say. Justice Ginsburg, from time to time, ran into trouble for getting too engaged in the political process, particularly with respect to President Trump. I really regret that she, her her last statement was one calling for a, quote, new president to name the next Supreme Court justice. I just think that's that's really not a, a statesmanlike word, a message from a, a Supreme Court justice, and and it's not her call. Right. Uh, let's move on to some of the women being discussed for the opening. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, obviously, Barbara Lagoa, and I don't know to what extent the rumor mill is accurate, but any thoughts on uh, those two women in particular? So I, I really don't know anything about Barbara Lagoa. She's she's not been sort of on the radar of the areas of law that I tend to focus on. Um, Amy Coney Barrett obviously was thrust into the spotlight when Diane Feinstein at the last confirmation hearing for when, when Barrett was going on the lower court, you know, Feinstein said that, she had too much dogma. The Barrett had too much dogma. Really, to call it thinly veiled is to give it too much credit. Just a blunt attack on on her on Judge Barrett's Catholic faith. That was horribly offensive. And I think that the extent to which Judge Barrett really rose above that situation and and and, and prevailed is to her great credit. Her scholarship on how to read statutes and how to balance the reading of statutes against the reading of precedents is, I think, among the, the most fundamentally important issues of the next 25 years in the Supreme Court. And so I think Judge Barrett, for a variety of reasons, is probably the ideal candidate for this moment in time. Some of the other names that have floated around, uh, Judge Britt Grant of the, uh, one of the lower federal courts down in Georgia. I've known her since she was in the Attorney General's office down there. She's a really great lawyer, extremely smart and sharp. I'm glad to see her name on the list as well. So this is a uh, you'll have to use some judgment on this question because I I don't know the answer to this. The court with Ruth Bader Ginsburg on it. If you're looking at a football field and the 50 yard line is right in the middle between liberal or conservative, where was the court with her on it to which how far to the right or left? Oh, that's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm from a Big Ten school, and we don't do football anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Very brave. I, uh, I uh, so so this this re- replacing Judge Ginsburg with say Barrett or somebody in a similar vein is going to move them. If we were at the 50 yard line before, we're moving over to about the 45, 40 yard line in the conservative direction. Okay, there's an opportunity to change some precedents that the that liberal justices had laid down in earlier years. But also, this is really important. We could avoid some bad precedents that might have been made with just the changing of a couple of seats in a liberal direction, especially in areas of uh, religious liberty, where Justice Ginsburg really was at the forefront of trying to trim back the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and pull back some of the protections that religious believers have in the face of progressive uh, administrative state regulations. Um, I think that's going to be a crucial area for for Judge Barrett or any other new appointee to the court to really avoid a dangerous turn. I know it's not in the Constitution that you need to have 60 votes to become uh, a Supreme Court justice. Did you like it better when the threshold was higher than just a majority? Or do you think a majority is fine? 
I wouldn't say I liked it. I, I definitely didn't like it better at the time um, because it was blocking some good judges in the George W. Bush administration. It's hard for me to, to put myself back in that mindset. I think the, the voting threshold is really less important than the process okay. um, in general. I think, I think ultimately the Senate gets to decide how the Senate does business in terms of the votes. I think the more that the Senate can do to create a credible process that really does, I mean, bad pun, but does justice to the gravity of this particular issue, the appointment of Supreme Court justices, that's a good thing. You mean like accusations of gang rape and that sort of thing? Well, right. That's the problem is you don't want to belabor the process just for the sake of character assassination. That was disgusting. Uh, And it's it's something that Republican senators have never, never done. Um, But I, I, I would say that trying to trying to to race a confirmation through before election day, like you're the the, the Dukes of Hazard trying to, to outrun Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> That's just a bad. It just, it just doesn't do justice to the, the gravity of the situation. I've, oh, I've, boy. I've I mean I've written on this for the Bulwark in a piece that I know is pretty out of step with with my conservative friends. I I think that they should do justice to the process, even if it means voting after election day, even if President Trump loses. I think that the process, especially for this seat, I think the American people deserve to get to know this nominee the right way and not in a hurried or, 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 or other otherwise problematic way. By the way, your writings on Duke and Duke versus Coltrane, incredibly insightful. Adam White with That's the right. American Enterprise Institute. All right, final question. we got to go there, I guess. It's obligatory. Um, Roe v. Wade, it's just an exhausting discussion to me. What are the chances a conservative court would actually overturn it? In the next 10 years, it's hard to imagine. I'd say in the next 25 years, not hard to imagine. It's a, it, it, it'll take a process of case-by-case, case, narrowing the precedent, and really getting down to the core abortion right, and then making the big decision. But along the way, it's going to require a cultural change and cultural outreach. It's the most one of the most important issues of our time. There's a great line from a liberal law professor, the problem with Roe v. Wade, it's not that it's bad constitutional law, it's that it doesn't even pretend to be constitutional law. It's had the worst gravitational pull on everything around our court and our politics for more than 40 years, and I think the moment that it's overturned will be a good moment. Adam White, resident scholar of the American Enterprise Institute and with the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Adam, it is always a pleasure. Thanks a million for the time. You too. Well done. How good is he? Oh, I just I love talking to him every chance we get. Yeah. Really good. But he wants to wait till after the election. Give the process a little more uh, credibility. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, they they mentioned the who was it? Uh, was it Souter or uh No, I can picture him. Um but one of the guys was done in like 21 days. Yeah. It was incredibly quick. Yeah. Um Yeah, it can be done. Of course, that was a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Our text- In so many ways, Jack. <laughs> so many ways. I had hair, for instance. <laughs> text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Retailer Foot Locker has announced that some of its stores will become voter registration sites. And as usual, you'll leave with something that's not entirely comfortable, but eventually you'll, you know, you'll get used to it. <laughs> um, Foot Lockers are going to become places to vote. I'll be darned. What the what? Coming up, I have a great story about the Theranos of electric cars. Allegedly. Oh, 
Allegedly. Oh, allegedly, yeah. I $2 heard about billion this. Dollar deal with GM, an electric car company that may have been phony, like the phony box where you could put your blood in there. Uh, yeah, and this <laughs> is a company that I almost put a deposit on one of their groovy trucks. Oh, really? Wow. I was yeah. so excited about it. Some of, the, some of the highlights of this story are hilarious, so stay tuned. And we all know this to be true. I think a lot of us have, have sensed it, but it's been put more eloquently than I've I've heard it explained. Um, uh, it's a, it's a piece by one Augustus Howard on why Trump's negative press spurs millions to like him even more. How the constant attacks by the media have solidified and even grown support hmm. for the orange one, and he really puts it he, he picks it apart and. I think you'll find his explanation enlightening and interesting. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, some COVID update. Uh, Mitt Romney just said something interesting about the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, a lot of people are watching him because he could be the vote that either makes it happen or makes it doesn't happen. There's not a lot of wiggle room. I'm sorry. What'd you say about Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney just said something important about the oh, Supreme yes. Court situation. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for all that. Among other things. Oh, There's a a troll in the CDC that may be stirring up trouble. Look out. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Where's the son? Where is he? Where's the son? I'll tell you. Where is he? What did I say? Where is? Where is he? Go ahead. You know, we did that for fun. Where's Hunter? We did a T-shirt. That thing sold. We come up with these little gems. Where's Hunter? You know where he is? Yeah, he's in the basement with his father. Yeah, where's Hunter? I'm hoping to get a call and response going like he had in 2016 with the build the wall and lock her up, but the... Where is Hunter? Hunter. Is that Hunter. still a story? Yeah. <laughs> Hunter, you're a loser. Well, he's trying out his material. He's workshopping it. Well, I just saw this from the Hill. Chris Matthews ripped for complimenting Trump's true presidential behavior on Ginsburg. I don't know that story, but I guarantee you what Chris Matthews said was Trump handled that really well when he was told about Ginsburg's death, yeah, that, which he did. what he said, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, you can't do that. Nope. You can't do that. If you're a man of the left, you have to only hate him. Right. What a crazy world we live in. Yeah. yeah. Why do we do this? Uh, it works. Um, or at least there's a perception that it works in the short term. It will poison the well, as they say. But uh, most politicians don't care about the well, which is this wonderful country. Joe, Joe's going to explain uh, some Trump support coming up in just a little bit, uh, which makes sense to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, you almost invested in or was going to buy a Nikola? Uh, an electric car that GM is backing? It's a truck, a, a super truck? cool pickup truck. Yeah, I was sorely tempted. I mean, it's not like my hand was poised over the checkbook, but uh, I went online, I clicked, I read a lot, I looked at the pictures. An electric and hydrogen-powered truck startup, Nikola, secured a $2 billion partnership with General Motors earlier this month. Well, in the last couple of days, its, its founders stepped down and other people and everything like that, partially because of these stories that have come out. About Nikola, which might be the Theranos, Theranos of electric vehicles. Uh, Nikola suggested the ocean of lies um, uh, can be explained. What are some of the oceans of lies? Uh, 
A captured video of a truck rolling down a hill that was presented as if it was driving on a highway and painted the words hydrogen electric onto a vehicle that actually runs on natural gas. Among the problems. So, so yeah, that, that promo video of one of their, their trucks that they uh, essentially just let gravity pull it down a hill and then through camera angles sure. and kind of some Not editing too hard. Thing, you tilt the camera a little bit. Yeah, it made it look like it was on a flat <laughs> ground kind of going around some corner. Like, uh, <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. I will point out, though, that one of the main voices promoting this is a company that, uh, a, a financial company that bets companies short. Short sell stocks. Yeah, the, the the person who put out this report is a hedge fund who will really? make a lot of money if if this company tanks. Well, they yeah, need to nail is... down whether this is true or not. But if you ever had a video rolling down a hill and then tilted the camera to make it look flat, that's yeah, yeah. it's creative lens work. <laughs> you don't sound like Silicon Valley material. Yeah. It's, like the, it's like the jerky angle thing. That's it's hot hilarious. these days. Anyway, we'll keep our, we'll keep our eye on this story. Yeah, good looking trucks though. Very futuristic. So Augustus Howard wrote this piece in the New York Post, which I thought did a pretty good job of laying out uh, a phenomenon that is unmistakable. I've seen it among friends, people I work with outside of the radio business, uh, just all sorts of personal acquaintances of mine who've gone from barely Trumpers or hold your nose and vote for Trumpers or, or however you want to characterize them to saying, F it, I'm with Trump. It's amazing the consistency with which I've observed this. And uh, Mr. Howard's writing in the the post. First, he mentions that polls are are narrowing and the enthusiasm gap is striking. Um, And I like this uh, little paragraph. One can almost hear the collective gasp from establishment media quarters. Can this really be happening? Won't any of our devastating reporting ever catch up with the Donald? In fact, Trump has succeeded and will likely continue to succeed, not in spite of the media campaign against him, but at least in part because of it. Voters have grown wise to the media agenda and recognize stories crafted to fit a certain mold rather than to follow the facts. They know what a smear looks like and they don't like it. At the same time, the ceaseless onslaught has made Trump a permanent underdog, and Americans identify with and cheer for underdogs, an aspect of the national psyche that the media and political elites detached as they are forget. Um, and then they mentioned some of the bombshells from the Atlantic Magazine, Bob Woodward, uh, but they're always uh, anonymous. Um, not not in Woodward's case, but the claim about calling dead soldiers losers and the rest of it. Um, none of the sources came forward, and officials who did come forward, including noted Trump critics, National Security Advisor John Bolton, contradicted the account. Voters were left to wonder, is the Atlantic more interested in harming Trump, particularly with his military supporters, than it is with the truth. Then is they that go even on, a real question? Uh, I know it. Then they go on with the the signing of the peace accords and how that was poo-pooed in the media. They didn't even mention the incredible drumbeat of the Russia collusion hoax that went on for years. And just it, it's made anybody who has any level of support for Donald J. incredibly cynical about any accusation. The problem with the boy who cried wolf is not just that people don't listen to him when he cries wolf again. It's that they don't listen to him at all. They don't care what he thinks about crop rotations or how the milk tastes or anything in the village. He's lost his credibility. I was looking at this. Why a never Trumper changed her mind. This is in the New Yorker. Um, Danielle Pletka. 
She's a senior fellow at AEI, and she published an op-ed in the Washington Post over the weekend. I never, and so, you know, she's a, she's a think tank person. She's a smarty pants. Um, she, she wrote, I never considered voting for Trump in 2016. I may be forced to vote for him this year. Ooh. She said she fears his erratic personality-driven decision-making, but added, I fear the leftward lurch of the Democratic Party even more. Uh, and the tyranny of the woke left and all, all that sort of stuff. I've seen a couple of those articles and heard a couple of podcasts from people who were in the, you know, the intelligentsia mm-hmm. who were anti-Trump, didn't vote for him last time, and are this time. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Well, I want to talk more about that. I'd love to hear more of her reasoning, too, after a quick word well, from our... we've got to tell you what Mitt Romney said, because this is oh huge breaking news. Yeah, it's gigantic. So stay tuned. Yeah, okay. Uh, quick word from our friends at Car Shield, the number one... Auto protection company in America. They've helped over 1 million drivers. Long story short, check engine light goes on. You're thinking, oh, no, oh, no. How expensive is this going to be? Not if you have CarShield. And no long-term contract or commitment or anything like that. The payments are flexible. CarShield plans are customizable to your exact needs. This is a super easy way to, like, today, get coverage from your car. And if you, for your car, and if you decide you want out, get out. It's no big deal. CarShield offers a wide range of protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repairs. And again, no long-term contracts or commitments. It is not complicated. Just give them a call today, 800-CAR-6000. Use the code Armstrong. That's 800-CAR-6000. Mention Armstrong or just go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. And again, use the code Armstrong. That'll save you 10% just because you know us. Carshield.com, Armstrong. So there are uh, two things that Mitt Romney has said. Well, it's all part of the same little speech, but two things that I thought were very interesting. One, I suppose you should know this. He is absolutely open to confirming a Trump Supreme Court nominee this year. And a lot of people thought he was going to be one of the senators that might not go along with it, and we didn't have the numbers. That's 51 votes. So, Because Cory Gardner of Colorado says, yeah, yeah, we should go ahead. So that, he, was, he was a name much bandied around in the mainstream media as someone who might not. Which I suppose is why Lindsey Graham said this morning, we have the votes to confirm a nominee before the election. Yeah. Whoever Trump nominates, especially if it's Amy Coney Barrett, because she's on one of the highest courts in the land already and has had the heck vetted out of her. She's just she's bulletproof. They'll try to portray her as an extremist or whatever, but it won't work, and she'll win because the Republicans will vote for her. I think this this announcement by Mitt Romney is barring something crazy happening, like she's accused of gang rape, for instance. Barring something insane happening, uh, she will be the next Supreme Court justice. Oh, that, that's I, just fine. I, I, you know, I, I bet anybody a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollar bet, uh, uh, right now on that. She will be. The question is before the election or not. Um. That I don't know, and I still don't know what the best strategy would be. And Adam White, we just talked to a little bit ago, he thought it should wait till after the election. He thought that would be a real good move in terms of calming things down. Um, I don't know that that's true. I'd like to talk to him more about that. Because if if Trump loses and the Democrats take over the Senate and they go ahead and put uh, Ms. Barrett on the court, I think people go nuts. Of course, they'll go nuts either way. <laughs> right. That's a, a lot of people's the argument. The people who are going to go nuts will go nuts no matter what. A lot, Yeah, a lot of people's argument on the right has been they were talking about packing the court before she died. They were talking about ending the filibuster before she died. They are talking about adding these states to get more states before she died. Correct. So, you know, what the hell's the difference? Yeah, we're done appeasing. You still constitutionally 
can put her on any time before January 20th. So she will end up being a Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. But if, say, Biden wins in a landslide, he wins big, it's not even close, and they add, like Reagan did, you know, a dozen senators, that's pretty unlikely. But if that happened, you know, that that would be a bad look. It, in terms of what America wants right now. Right. It it could increase rancor, division, cynicism about the court, that sort of thing. I'm not sure there's much stopping that. If you have a situation where a man who is known universally as honorable, decent, and good is accused of gang rape, by, there are a couple of people involved in that, by the way, who are now brought up on charges of lying to Congress. You're not hearing that in the media area. Uh, a couple of the crackpots who got taken seriously by Kamala Harris, known liars, have been forced to admit they made it up. Um, if they're willing to do that, then I, I'm not sure what uh, 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 any gentlemanly, reasonable, appeasing measure would calm down the lunatics, honestly, at this point. I think we may be beyond, you know, calmity and gentlemanliness. I hate to say that because the future could be grim. Hey, Mitt Romney also went on to say, I recognize that we may have a court which has more of a conservative bent than it's had over the last few decades, but my liberal friends have over many decades gotten very used to the idea of having a liberal court, and that's not written in the stars. That's a good point. It doesn't have to be that way forever. We've talked to a couple of different folks, including Tim Sandifer uh, from the Goldwater Institute, Tim the Lawyer, about how the vast majority of professors at the vast majority of law schools in America are way left. So, uh, yeah, with all due respect to your burning down my local businesses, I think we'll get this uh, woman on the court and, and proceed. I don't know. I don't know. Adam White arguing, as uh, reading uh, Jonah Goldberg's got a thing in the L.A. Times. David French has got a thing in Time Magazine. They're all three friends, by the way which is fine, but uh, they all think that either should be after the election or not at all. Just to, you know, to try to lay the groundwork for healing these wounds and a gesture of we're going to end this madness of one-upping each other to where it's gotten a completely out of control pack in the court adding states. I think you take the justice when you can get it. Yeah, I would, again, I would like to engage with them on that point because I would suggest the Kavanaugh thing, and this was Lindsey Graham's point, um, the Kavanaugh thing proves there is no coming together and, and ending the one-upmanship. That was just so far out of bounds. I mean, you, you're, you're having a, an argument at the dinner table, and your son leaps over the table with you and tries to kill you with a knife. I mean, saying, all dinner right, table, now let's uh, continue our conversation. Uh, it's just, at that point, you can't. Kavanaugh was a knife fight. And I hate to say that, because I was hoping there was saving the decency, but. Is this one going to be a knife fight? I wonder. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. Mitt is a yes. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And I got a debate coming up with this guy. You never know. You never know. They give him a big fat shot in the ass and he comes out. (laughs) And for two hours, he's better than ever before. The problem is what happens after that? 
Nah, we're going to ask for a drug test. We are. I'd like to have a drug test. <laughs> Both of us. I'll take it. He'll take it. Oh, boy. Come on. So the big news of the day is they have the votes. Mitt's a yes. There are enough yeses. They have the votes. There will be another Supreme Court justice named by Donald Trump that gets on the court. That'll be three in a one term. That's just fine. I think that's the record. And then does that does that have any effect on the election? I mean, I kept seeing all weekend. Now this has an effect on the election, does it? Okay, they got the votes. He's going to name somebody. It's going to be a couple of weeks, a matter of just a couple of weeks, get another one in. How does that affect the election? Does it? I don't know. I've, I keep thinking about this, and I'm trying to decide, but I think it hanging out there might fire up Trump fans a lot. That's why the I think, seat isn't filled. But then I read people who say, nah, I'd fire up the Democrats every bit as much. Right. You know, much as I like to claim I have my finger on the pulse of the American people, I, I'm not sure it has any effect on anything other than it makes the court more just, conservative. Right. Just get the judge. Just get the judge. Um, so here's my favorite survey poll that I have seen in a long time. The question is this. How was your summer? <laughs> How was your summer? Oh, How was oh the summer of 2020? Oh, boy. And the results are pretty funny. Smallest number, best ever, 2%. Oh. 2% of people said it was their best summer ever. Unless you're Jeff Bezos, I don't know what you, how you answer that. I'm a uh, <laughs> COVID test manufacturer. I'm rich. <laughs> best ever. 14% were good, and 38% were average. The plurality said, as an average summer. Mm. Are you kidding me? Wow. How is that even possible? We couldn't go anywhere. All the kids' camps were closed. They were already miserable for not being in school. They didn't see their friends. We didn't hang out with anybody. The economy sucks. Everybody took a pay cut. Maybe it's people who never do anything. They just sit there staring at their TV. I don't know. Mine was fairly average. <laughs> yeah, quit yelling. Would you, you? You're intimidating the staff. It's like working with Ellen DeGeneres here. Constant hostility. You didn't do any, have any less fun this summer than a normal summer. No, that's only sad. No, like vacations and stuff. Like those are those are a burden to me. Like actually going places and doing things. Like those those I often I should be enjoying this. This is an important part of being a person. But left <laughs> to my own decisions, I would just be at home binge watching something that I had already missed. This is whatever. the important part of being a person. There you go. Well, there you go. I I I uh, okay. But um, but yeah, I would I would assume that those are largely childless single people. God, I don't know. Hung out and drank with their friends. I know a few childless single people that say this is the worst period of their life because they're, well, they're more of the social type that go out a lot and, you know, dating and all that sort of stuff. And that's come to a screaming halt. I had to cancel two of the coolest things I would have ever done in my life or postpone them. Exactly. So a little disappointing over here. Yeah. Uh, Bad is 30%. Worst ever, 16%. So bad and worst ever make up about half. I would be in the bad category. It wasn't the worst summer of my life. Well, you know, actually, most summers are pretty great. It might have been the worst summer of my life. And, and, you know, and it wasn't horribly painful or anything like that. But Yeah, I'm thinking of the summer where I got hit between the eyes with a fastball and it smashed up my head. That, that was, was a pretty one unpleasant day, though, summer. Right? Was the, the whole summer the bad? The recovery was fairly extended. Was the whole summer bad because of that? No, not really. I had a cute girlfriend come to think exactly. of it. And, yeah, so I looked like Frankenstein for like a month. <laughs> so, yeah. I think this actually probably was the worst summer ever. Yeah, she'd she, she'd make me uh, 
put on the ragged pants and go and chase her across the countryside. So we made it into a positive. Just to, to put a bow on mine, I fully understand that my average summer to a lot of people would be their worst summer ever. <laughs> true. That is very, very yeah. true. You're very yeah. down to earth. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yes. And I'm I'm an introvert, but the, the description of your summer, that I would consider that my worst summer ever. Um, Staying in the house and watching TV. I played uh, a lot of video games, too. Best ever, 2%. <laughs> I want to meet you people. It's the best summer of your life. Again, you're either Jeff Bezos or you manufacture COVID vaccine. I like that. Or tests. I like wearing masks. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe it's people who didn't have to go into work. I felt like I was making too much money, so the pay cut was uh, really a blessing for me. People who could stay at home and or, you know, do semi-fun stuff. I mean, Judy and I have still, you know, we've hit various of our favorite wineries. I'm trying to think of the stuff we've done. we played some golf and everything. and, And if you can do more of that. Well, here it is. Here it is. Come on. We've talked about this. You can't get a boat. It's hard to find the RV you want. Golf club memberships are jammed up. The That's rest true. of it. That's all true. Because people have more leisure time, for better or worse, in in some cases. Couldn't go anywhere, do anything. Uh, house almost caught on fire. Yeah, it's not my best summer ever. Oh, boy. Just not going with that. Armstrong and Getty.